0: I'm very excited to bring on Fraser Waldron Mm. who is uh, one of the most exciting individuals I've met and uh, he has a a wealth of experience uh, in his life and also career but I think what really distinguishes him is uh, are the are the frameworks and the principles he distilled from from these uh, the journeys he's traversed through life and I'm sure we'll hear about that today and particularly I'm interested in how you uh, manage different emotions and and adversities just to have a um, a peek into the conversation. But um, lead us away by giving us uh, a
1: a quick intro to yourself and maybe. Your life story. Who 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 are you, Fraser? Who, who am I? I don't even know who I am. You know, where where am I? Who am I? Uh, but no. Uh, first off, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, you said I was exciting, but that's that's debatable. Uh, ask my friends, and they might say I'm boring. But um, so first off, just thank you for having me here in the first place. It's a fantastic opportunity. Uh, I'm definitely excited to talk about uh, anything today, uh, but specifically on how to get through adversity, things of that nature. It's something that I uh, like to focus on, but. I'll give you kind of my background and then we can take it away from there uh, so thank you again for the conversation uh so my name is fraser uh last name waldron i'm from canada originally so i'm an expat in singapore uh born in vancouver at the beginning uh moved to a small town uh, which kind of colored my uh lands my, my my perception of reality so i'm from a small town in canada uh, mostly um, once I was done high school, I went back to Vancouver, uh, did my university uh, there, uh, played some sports as well. I played uh, Canadian Football University, which is a whole other uh, tangent uh, in my life. Uh, and then from there, uh, initially went into finance, uh, doing trading, things of that nature, uh, inequities. So that's my one uh, one love right there, is in the sort of financial sphere. I'm still in that game to an extent. Uh, and then after a few years, I realized I needed to pivot to something from making money to doing something, at least to me, that was more meaningful. Uh, and so I went into the law enforcement uh, path. It um, was always something I was interested in. Uh, I had a neighbor when I was growing up uh, who lived in our sort of cul-de-sac, and she was a Royal Canadian mounted police officer, uh, which is the Canadian federal police. And she had done lots of really interesting things, and she'd tell me these crazy stories. And so that kind of inspired me, let's say. Uh, so I joined the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, worked in northern Canada, sort of up near uh, the top of the province of Saskatchewan, uh, uh, right on the border of the Northwest Territories. So you can Google that. It's really, really remote locations. I uh, did that for a few years in sort of a frontline policing context. Uh, and then also went uh, to the city of Calgary. So I worked for the Calgary Police Uh, service there, uh, mostly as an intelligence officer working in counterterrorism, national security, things of that nature. Uh, And then after a few years of that, uh, pivoted to uh, something called our Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General, which is in British Columbia, the the province, west coast of Canada, uh, where I worked in crime reduction initiatives, things like that. Uh, and then from there, I uh, pivoted to my current role, which is in Singapore, uh, working with Interpol, uh, so the international uh, policing organization, where I am in the Organized and Emerging Crime Directorate, where I focus mostly uh, on uh, uh, detecting and uh, detecting in. Um, observing people who are doing crimes transnationally on the topic of uh, sexual crimes so finding transnational sexual offenders uh, and preventing and detecting them from gaining access to vulnerable populations so that's kind of me in a nutshell um yeah that's kind of my professional career so
0: you've seen a lot of bad things over your life
1: yeah, well, career. that's something. <laughs> that's something we can talk about because uh, you're right. Uh, from one perspective, things can be bad, uh, but from another perspective, you, things can be an opportunity as well. Uh, yes. But but definitely, uh, I would say um in my life about growing up my scenario was very ideal i came from a very nice background everything was you know small idealist idealistic you know canadian town uh, and then i've pursued some paths definitely professionally uh, that have put me into situations of adversity uh, in some ways on purpose and that's uh, sort of shaped who i am today uh, for for good or for bad <laughs> i'll yeah. let you decide <laughs> so i i think to start i'm very curious about
0: um what were you like when you were a child or when you were a teenager? Because for me, these were the most pivotal years of my life that kind of Mm. shaped who I am today. Uh, But did some of your interests start there? Or does
1: the Fraser story start at at the high school, for example? Where does it begin? Yeah. Um, I think in regards to uh, career path, uh, at a very early age, I knew I wanted to do something on the sort of operational, sort of police or military side. I was always... Running through my neighborhood wearing camouflage like a goof, like climbing in trees. I lived in kind of a rural area, right? Uh, So I was that kid for sure. Uh, So I always had an interest in sort of that career path. Uh, But like I mentioned, my my childhood was extremely ideal. I had a great family situation, all my family was in the area. Everything was looked forward to anything I wanted to pursue. I had lots of enthusiasm for that. so whether it was sports or um, any of my interests, uh, my parents were very supportive. So I had this very idealistic kind of con- context. Uh, and then when I went to university, it was kind of more of the same. I was uh, playing football in university, which was uh, which was a privilege and um, I think I was modest enough to appreciate that uh, you know uh, that I wasn't the best player, but i was I was there trying my best and it was a good experience. but Um, no problems in my life really at all. And that was interesting because it kind of gave me um, like almost no framework to handle things that were uh, difficult, which we can talk about later on, uh, because I was just kind of hopelessly, nicely naive. So I think uh, the the story of Fraser, uh, before I went into the policing realm, uh, was mostly just uh, one thing after another working out really well, which is very lucky. Uh, that no no complaints there. And then uh, sort of once I went into the policing path, uh, then I, my my life started to change in different ways, uh, based on sort of things that would pop up in my way or uh, bad life circumstances, things like that. Which is the story of I think a lot of people. Uh, that's common fare. And I think so. There's there's kind of two epochs with me. There's uh, a period of time where uh, I was kind of hopelessly naive and just having a great time and goofy Fraser, which still which still exists, as you can probably tell <laughs> uh, if you know me well enough. Uh, but then the other side, which is, you know, uh, sort of more uh, serious Fraser, really goal oriented, task oriented. I'm just trying to, you know, climb the ladder professionally, but then also uh, live, live my, live my best life, uh, and and that's a lot of introspection, but then a lot of uh, going out and doing as well. So there's kind of those are those are the kind of the two, the two breaks, and I think that started when I joined policing, which is by definition kind of like a very serious kind of pathway, and puts you in scenarios that I hadn't observed before, which was good.
0: Yeah, that that's definitely very interesting because I was just reflecting on it these days how most kids growing up. Um, their experience has been really smooth, mm. um, especially the ones came from fortunate, privileged backgrounds. Um, they were not put into situations of failure to learn how to cope with them early on, so later on when things smash them in the head, they don't know how to get up and um, resilience uh, mm. is a trait that I think you would talk a lot about. Um, so, yeah, so how how did the transition happen from, from your... There two different... Um, periods of your life um what were the uh what were the the pivotal moments um or the or the moments that really um that you you remember now that you say were the
1: critical points turning points hmm yeah good good question um it, it it's kind of like uh it's it's kind of like when you're growing up and you you, you have an ambition to let's say uh, I don't know something random like be a, be a plumber, let's say, right? And you always want to be a plumber because you've seen it on TV or you've read about it, uh, and, and but but you've never actually seen it from the other side. There's 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 kind of like a um, there's there's reality as you perceive it, but then there's reality as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think when I went into policing, I, I knew what I was going to get into um, I had sort of an idea of what to expect. Uh, you know, I was, I was deep into the, to the weeds of, you know, like reading about that topic or, uh, you know, uh, sort of the, 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 things I would see, or the things I would do. Uh, but, uh, it's different, much different when you, when you're actually, uh, operational, uh, doing work and, and actually seeing things that are, let's say traumatic to, to, to anyone, but, but on a regular basis. Um, so I was anticipating, I had an Anticipation of that, uh, but I think even like the first kind of week uh, working in the first kind of policing post, uh, I, I definitely realized that I was not um, well armed to deal with really traumatic events. Not 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 from a professional point of view, not like from the job perspective. Like I knew what to do. You know, the handcuffs went on, people go to jail. Like like that that was easy. But how to deal with that psychologically? Um, I realized very quickly that I that I came from this very like uh, pristine bubble uh, of of loveliness, and and I do find. <laughs> you know, uh, if anyone's listening to this, you know, uh, ha- ha- half the people uh, will know what I'm talking about. But you are correct. Like there is a certain cohort of people, and this is a, not a bad thing, uh, but you can actually maneuver through life in this very nice way and really have nothing traumatic happen to you uh, for, for a long period of time. You know, maybe people pass away, but there's, you know, runway on that, things like that. But, uh, for, but, but there are a certain cohort of people who have those kind of experience on a regular basis. Uh, and so it was my transition from from one cohort being in this kind of uh bubble of nativity let's say uh to this other kind of cohort um where you know now i'm now i'm where where the rubber meets the road where there's kind of a a sense of reality and very quickly i realized i needed to inoculate myself with some strategies or or bring some strategies to the table to better process and be more effective and and be a better person in general to work through those things so that was kind of the moment so probably even my, my first week of Policing in this very northern community—that would have been um, that would have been my for my first first moment for sure. So
0: it was first through through your own eyes of seeing um, the traumatic experiences happen to other people, but then I think later on, yeah, yeah, it did I, come to you as well through uh, um, different. For for few sure, struggles you had.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you I'll give you an example. So f- yeah. for example, I uh, I worked in a place initially called larange which is in Saskatchewan, so northern northern Saskatchewan. It's uh, uh, four and a half hours north of uh, Saskatoon, which is like the the one big city in, in that province uh, or the most northerly city. Uh, and this was a very remote location, uh, and it just happened to be at the time uh, one of the, sort of the top five uh, jurisdictions for volume of, of violent crime in Canada. Uh, many dozens of times higher than the average, uh, and so one of the things I observed right away, just anecdotally, was that the officers I worked with were were often suffering from like uh, you know sort of not necessarily PTSD per se, but uh, but just like the from being having high exposure to really violent events. So for example, like on a busy night, uh, there might be six police officers working and we might take, you know, 50 files and maybe 10 of those would be really extreme violence. So, you know, shootings, stabbings, um, critical injuries, th- things of that kind of nature. And, uh, and everyone has kind of a cup where they can, you know, handle certain events, but, you know, very quickly that cup can overfill. And so what I started to realize was that, oh, uh, I'm looking at the people around me, uh, and, and I'm seeing that, you know, there's, uh, the, my, my, my coworkers, there's, um, some coworkers handle bad events very well, and some do not. And then even sort of like on the victim side, uh, if you're a, a victim of a certain crime, some people were able to handle that extremely well and you know move on the next day. and other people, you know that was traumatizing for life uh, in some cases. So and neither is wrong or right. It's just sort of something I observed. and I thought, oh, I, I'm, I, I can feel myself uh, vulnerable to having a long-term negative outcome. If I don't uh, create some sort of framework to process information more effectively, um, mm-hmm. and so that kind of got me, and so maybe the topic we were talking about today, mm-hmm. um, kind of going very, very quickly into the sort of philosophical literature, uh, the sort of psychological literature, to try to quickly arm myself with the ability to kind of process things, uh, to one make me more effective as a as a operational police officer at the time, but also. Um, just to be able to uh, live my own life on a day-to-day basis. So I got super into the topic of the best way to live, let's say, or or the topic of how to live, generally speaking.
0: Sure, yeah. So uh, before we delve into that, I think you're, um, you, you're born very observant, and you did make these observations. So the question I had in mind is how did the your colleagues in the police force, how did those that manage the situation well, how did they differ from the ones that didn't? What, what was... Uh, what is the reason that, that
1: to- totally yeah yeah um, this difference in
0: the outcomes
1: yeah uh, I, they have some traits some yeah, qualities, yeah. I, um, no it's it's a good question uh, I, I would say that um, so for example like when I was in La range uh, uh my, my answer is kind of anecdotal because, you know, I'm sure there's literature on this that goes well, but uh, there's a really uh, good book uh, by Paul Bloom and it's Compassion versus Empathy or Against Empathy is the book. And, and it essentially, and I think this is an answer at a macro level, but I saw this at the micro uh, clearly, where uh, there's some literature that suggests that uh, people who are uh, overly empathetic versus overly compassionate uh, have different outcomes when doing first responder work, things of that nature. That's not the whole purpose of the book, but that's an element of it. And so he would define that, or at least the book defined that, again, paraphrasing, that compassion would have been technically defined as like, I'm doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and then empathy is like seeing it from the other person's side and feeling what you're feeling if you're a victim in this case and so there's one good example where uh, they took uh, survivors of uh, or first responders you know police, fire, EMS those kind of guys and girls uh, from 9-11 like the New York uh, 9-11 attacks and they kind of rank ordered them by compassion versus empathy as their baseline position dealing with those events and roughly speaking the people who were high in empathy uh, would describe the, those days or those weeks as like the worst time ever. My life was never the same in a negative way. Uh, and then, you know, high cases of, you know, uh, PTSD, uh, uh, career uh, destruction, you know, suicide, like the r- really high bad levels of negative outcomes. And then on the other side, the people who uh, perceived, the, uh, who, had, who were high in compassion based on surveys uh, were the opposite. They were like, uh, it's a terrible day, but the most important day in my life. I did my best work then. All the training was for this day. Um, you know, it inspired me to do. You know, like the, the language was different. Um, and when I read that book in particular, I thought, "Oh, I can actually view things as an opportunity, even if it's really bad, to do the right thing, to, to console the victim. You know, to, to arrest rest the bad guy, or I can be highly empathetic, which I am. I think I naturally have empathy for people. But, but if if I, if I let that drag me over, uh, then you can have negative outcomes. And I think, again, anecdotally. When I would look at certain uh, first responders, police, fire, EMS—not the, the, specifically police, but first responders in general—I um, I could intuitively pick out that some people were a bit too high on the empathetic side of the coin, and that would destroy them. Which makes sense because if you're going from one tr- like life, like no one calls the police just because you know you're arguing over like is you know should it be eggs or bacon, you know, <laughs> it, it's like worst case scenario, someone's died, uh, someone's stabbed, uh, the worst. Context of your life, everywhere, just even the emotional context is, is draining. Huh? Uh, so when you show up, uh, it's chaos and you're trying to bring some order to a scenario. And, uh, and, and often it's really traumatic. Like I, uh, one time, for example, we had a, a, a child under one uh, pass away uh, in, a, in a very uh, open context that uh, got hit by a vehicle. Uh, and the deceased was actually uh, visible upon arrival, you know, and there was a bunch of people watching that. It's a very traumatic scenario. Um, just really bad luck. Um, and some of the officers that attended that, uh, I could see were like, really like, you know, traumatized cause that's a traumatizing scenario. Mm. Um, and I remember uh, I wasn't the first on scene for that, but, uh, when I showed up, I thought this is bad, I can feel it. And I flipped compassion. I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like the good guy here and I'm gonna do like the best job I can. And so that makes that, that turns that terrible situation into, uh, an opportunity to do the right thing. So, so even just like little mental flips like that uh, got me out of a potential hole for sure. And I think some people do that. They wouldn't be able to articulate that, what I've just kind of mentioned, but they would just naturally do that on their own just because that's their personality. And other people have a tough time doing what I just described the other way around because they wouldn't be able to articulate that that's the path maybe to a, a better outcome. I don't know if, yeah, that's, don't that know if it, that's my answer.
0: It makes sense. It's, it's, it's very interesting how um, I think making people aware of that switch would – would make them use it more often. A lot of times in psychology, and just based on what you said, I think a lot of times when we're uh, forced to confront with our own fragility, with the fragility of our peers, mm. um, you can um, you can on one hand um, just be totally torn by it and have a deep moment with reality and rethink your whole um, assumption about life mm. and and death. Or on the other hand, you can really shine through with with a torch and see the light in the darkness and um, push through with with uh, the strength that you, that has been carrying for all this time. Mm. Sometimes people say the the ignorance is a bliss, but I think it's the the, the with the knowledge um, as a weapon to overcome whatever is a reality
1: that that is out there. Mm. So um, yeah, but. I went on tangent. Um, no, 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 it's good. <laughs> well, and I, I had one other thing here. Uh, yeah. uh, this is just not, let's say, cause first response is very, very specific. Like you've picked a career path. That's like going to be that. Right. Uh, but, uh, just, just on a sort of like everyday basis, uh, like entropy exists, right? Like bad things are going to happen. Um, the world doesn't fit your narrative necessarily. Right. Like, you know, and I'll give you a perfect example from a policing point of view, but you can see how this would be articulated. Um, often, uh, crimes like like a theft you know like um like for, for like in canada there's laws of car theft right so people steal cars um and then they drive them and they you know crash them or whatever like they, but that's a relatively relatively you know, Canada's a safe place but that's a relatively high crime that happens often in certain jurisdictions and so when people have their cars stolen i've never seen anyone super distraught about that because it's baked into the narrative of your life like you hear about it enough on the news or you kind of have an awareness of it so you're upset but you're not like losing your mind upset right because in your mind you're like well if that that was going to happen you know whatever uh not downplaying it but people usually go okay that's that's not the end of the world there's insurance like they, they can see you know uh but if you have a home break in a lot of people in canada perceive the however and i say everywhere perceive their house as like and i've made this mistake too as like an unpenetrable fortress that there's just no way that that would ever happen so it's not even in the figment of your imagination and i find that that's where the trauma occurs often more than the actual act itself so many times you go to a break and enter nothing's even stolen but like the dignity of the space is violated because of that again in theory you know maybe the guy hasn't even been inside maybe the door is just broken but it's deeply traumatizing and you can see people are like really upset like like to the to the bone and you, you know maybe you follow up two weeks later and they're you know they've like moved to a different city like it's you get these really extreme reactions uh and then in my mind because i've seen so many break and enters if someone broke into my house i'm like well yeah of course because like why wouldn't they because you know if you go to a 10 you, you know you're in your mind it's going to happen so if someone broke into my house i would be upset like the stolen car because i've, I've baked it in so i think everyone has narratives in their mind in, in, or perceptions of reality. And when that reality is broken, often that's traumatic. I've seen that quite a bit. And you can, because some people have really tough lives and something tough happens and they don't even blink. And then the next person is just crushed by it. And often I think it's, you never perceived that this could happen to you and it might. And, you know, so that's just something to throw in there. Right. Right. Because
0: um, most of the time we go through our day to day on autopilot with our own narrative until something until, until an exception to the rule happens, that makes us to reconsider uh, everything sure. at once. It's like your whole foundation is shattered and then you just don't know where to start. Um, so as we're getting philosophical now. <laughs> I know, go all day. It, this, is, this is my
1: wheelhouse. I'm, I'm excited, yeah. yeah. So um,
0: <laughs> at some point in your life, you picked up philosophy as mm. uh, one of the things in your toolkit yes. to help you overcome that. So, um, so how did you get started? Uh, did you study something in the related fields in college or was it after your uh, policing
1: career? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So, so I took one philosophy class in my undergrad. I did political science, which, you know, political philosophy is one of the five branches of philosophy, I suppose, but, uh, or core, core uh, columns you can look into. But uh, I took a, philosophy class that was, you know, like Socrates and Plato and stuff. And I actually didn't find it that interesting because I thought, oh, this is like nonsense. I don't need this. Like, you know, I'm, I'm Fraser. Like, you know, I'm 20 and I'm tough, you know, or whatever in my mind. Football uh, player. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go to the gym. Like, you know, just have another burrito and eat some more protein powder you know uh, but uh, yeah so I, I I mean I enjoyed the class but I didn't I didn't pursue it past that in my mind that was you know it has some it has to be tangible like if I can't put my hands on it, it's not real and That was kind of my let's say base case uh, process but then uh, once I went to uh, into the policing realm and I realized that there I need to inoculate myself or create a, a system to better process information I got super deep into the weeds of it. So now I'd say my my core theme of my life is uh, like consistently like that I'm looking for on a daily basis is like kind of like what is true or like what is what is what is truth. Let's say as just a general theme. Like I like to like to be analytical and objective as much as possible as, as that's epistemologically possible. Let's say, uh, but then also it's like how to live. I think that's like my core uh, my core code is working on that all the time so even if i'm at work like it's a, it's always kind of in the back of my mind now uh and something i'm passionate about so um the, the the when i'm reading philosophy or i'm reading like you know like poetry even or, or or i'm watching a movie uh i find myself and i realize that not everyone does this <laughs> recently i thought oh doesn't everyone do this uh, i'm looking at like the story or like i'm watching like you know i don't know uh yeah, like, like a movie or something. And I'm looking, I'm like, what, what can I take from this so I can leverage it in my own life? But like, I'm like thinking about it constantly, 24 seven. So when I'm reading a book, it's, I'm reading it for enjoyment, but the actual main underlining reason, like if I'm reading Harry Potter like, or whatever, uh, I'm actually trying to extract something on that topic. Like how, what's the best way to live? And then sort of the, the, the honesty or the truth element of that is wrapped in into it. Um, so that's kind of like my, my, my core code now. And that or that spark initiated when I started to actually have tangible success with uh, applying strategies like that compassion, and empathy. I was referring to As soon as I framed things like that, I was like, "Oh, I'm much more effective and efficient," you know. And that's kind of an element of my personality too. So I thought, "Oh, well, if I can be, if I can use this, what else can I use?" And then it's just gone on a wild goose chase since then, with tangible results for me personally. Uh, and if I can share that, that's cool too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um... So, so, so the the
0: day to day philosophy mm. made a uh, lasting impact to you um, on on in your work in your personal journey. Um, what was the most uh, the biggest benefit you got from that, and and how did you apply that? If you had to uh, impart today with just one thing throughout your life from from these practical philosophers.
1: That's a big question. Uh So, or maybe I, the most recent one you No, no, about no, no. Your, your your question is good, but you know, it's uh I I'm no fun at dinner parties, you know, because as soon as you bring this stuff up, I'll talk all day as you can imagine. Uh I think the most impactful thing for me uh, at a sort of macro level from, from my perspective uh, for my life is that um I think before I got into the weeds of the philosophy I hadn't considered this topic and I was just kind of blindly moving uh through reality uh in a sort of a haphazard manner N- not just on you know things that were uh, like uh, difficult or traumatic but just just in general I was just kind of f- i was uh, I was floating so the the culture that I was in and the the narrative around me just kind of took me along the ride, uh, where now I feel like I have a framework that I've created um, from all the different kind of religions and theologies and uh, uh, and philosophies of life, let's say, uh, and I've created my own structure to move through life in a way that I that that, that has meaning to me. Um, so I've created a, a so far, and it, it's always changing. It's not fixed. It's not like a uh, leap of faith in the religious sense where I've got a fixed dogma and I'm stuck on it but I have sort of a, a template on how to live life and I employ that every day and then when I put my head on the pillow at night I feel pretty good because what I'm doing is meaningful to me and and I, and I feel pretty robust and I've attempted to test that framework which I've created which is a, an amalgamation and we can talk about it an amalgamation of a few different um, kind of uh, uh, thoughts and concepts and I've tried to uh, go around and find situations and test it against it and so far it's been pretty good including some traumatic scenarios as well um, so I've kind of created my own like you know uh, philosophy for one that fits me it won't fit for everyone everyone's got their own kind of um, element to to pursue but I think I'm deep enough in the weeds now where I, where I feel pretty comfy in my day to day which wasn't the case before I always had I was like what's the point what am I doing like that those kind of existential questions where now I actually feel quite sturdy in my structure I, I feel like I've created a a foundation of a house when it comes to how to move through the world mm. that's a big ridiculous answer
0: but that, that's kind of you know i th- i think it's only when you f- go through something um with your own eyes with your own feet in the shoes that the yeah the lessons you extracted are the most durable otherwise you, you learn it from a leadership class <laughs> yeah. from an mba class it, it will never it will never um be be uh, internalized uh-huh. as much as it came from you originally so yeah. that's that's my experience as well so so for fraser what was your first encounter with adversity what what life experiences that got you to start thinking about the topic of
1: adversity and how to overcome it and come up with your own frameworks uh yeah so um I think, uh, if you don't mind. Oh yeah. Sharing. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, th- there's been different moments. Definitely. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you, like just growing up, you know, you, you, you have adversity. I mean, everyone has adversity. Everyone's life is difficult, uh, in their own context, right? Like everyone's journey is, is difficult. Like suffering to me is like baked into the cake. Like it seems to be, um, like a, like a fact almost, you know, it's like, it's like part of the human condition to, to suffer. Uh, but, um, I, I guess, uh, so 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 you know like even when I was growing up, you know, if you play sports and you lose a game, you know that's adversary to an extent and you know do you do you, uh, how do you handle that kind of stuff? So I, I feel like um, my, my 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 life course was within the normal range of experience in Canada, which was really good. Uh, and And then when I went into policing, um, it created interest in, in these kind of topics because I wanted to inoculate myself. Um, and then probably my first real test, and this is kind of off, I don't think I've ever told you this story actually, but uh, was actually, um kind of interesting i, I worked in the larange the first place which was very um like the 25 police officers there and it actually had a community had a grocery store you could go to and um had like normal functioning sort of societal things that you could so you feel like you're part of a community uh, but then i went to a place called uh, stony rapids slash black Lake. stony rapids is the hamlet for the community and then black lake is the indigenous uh, reserve there and in that location uh, it was very isolated because was a fly-in only um, there is a road you can technically drive, but it's not always <laughs> passable. Uh, so that was a flying-only community and uh, ex- extremely violent. I think it was 165 times the average on violent crime compared to the Canadian average, uh, and uh, less police officers. Much more of a difficult place to work just because of the isolation. Um, we had food flown into us, so it was, you know, like it's different. It's like camping, you know, for a period of time. Uh, and in that case, it was extremely lonely. Like just, just like lonely in the sense that you could walk 500 kilometers in any direction and hit no human being. So like, like, like just physically isolated now. Uh, and, and the environment we were living in was uh, not friendly to, uh, to police officers, even if off duty, like you couldn't walk around um the community of black Lake, let's say without potential issues things like that um and so that was actually my first real like oh this is a test test like not just you know i can call my mom and she'll fix it kind of test you know what i'm saying uh where or or, or, uh, because you know sometimes the phones didn't work we didn't have cell reception there's no cell tower at that time um internet was spotty at best uh we we're so far north that like when you put like the satellite the TV satellite it shot, it was straight like into the like 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 it wasn't shooting up into the sky cuz you know they kind of shoot towards the equator or whatever. So it's really remote place and i remember there being like oh like i'm i'm in trouble and i i could see my like coworkers like uh one coworker for example uh wouldn't wouldn't wear his uniform at work. You know what i mean? Like so he'd wear like jeans and like a under armor top with his like you know so like <laughs> he was wearing his vest and his gun and stuff but like like you know, because he's emotionally having a tough time, right? Uh, so it's just a really... Tr- so you couldn't even have... Your friends weren't necessarily useful to you because, like, they were themselves dealing with a lot of stuff. So it was, like, critically, uh, emotionally lonely. And in that context, that's when, I, that's when I really dug deep into the literature to find ways to be comfortable in my own shoes in bad, bad situations. Um, That was, like, the real, like, where I ramped that up. Um, and interestingly, actually, if you're really lonely, if you find yourself... You know, at home, being like, "Oh my gosh, I'm super lonely." At least for me, um, if you just uh, actually accept that, accept that loneliness, like that feeling, and you don't just go on the phone and text somebody. If you just let that hit you uh, and accept it and kind of surrender to it, I don't mean surrender to like um, in a negative way, but uh, accept, accept it, and just kind of let that wash through you. On the other side of that is relief. Um, So when the COVID stuff happened (laughs) and in Canada we had lockdowns and stuff, I was totally fine because I had like built the skill set to be alone. And I'm hyper extroverted, like I want to see people all the time um, but that was my first real test Um and again like there's kind of a philosophical element to that as well um, and that got me super even more interested in that topic and I had lots of time to read because the internet wasn't really working anyway so yeah <laughs> okay so, so <laughs> yeah.
0: loneliness was like your first true test of uh, adversity
1: that that was world. that was a big one yeah and then yeah. and then uh, and that's okay and it's good uh, good opportunity at the time wasn't fun but uh, now in retrospect Rose-colored lenses, of course. Uh, Now I'm like, oh, I'm glad that happened. It's given me sort of a superpower. I can be by myself, uh, and I can sit in a room, and I can be myself for a period of time, and I'm not. uh, I'm totally comfortable with that because I can just replicate that kind of that 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 uh, that strategy to get over it, which is again that sort of self-acceptance of that. Um, Yeah.
0: So if if we we can stay a little longer on this topic, loneliness. How do you can you? Walk us through your thought process, like unpack a little more on how do you let it wash through you and emerge as yeah. A renewed um self in the sense that you are above it, you're no longer beholden by it anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. So so um So everything I say, like when, for example, like if I say this is something that I've done, um, it might not work for you. Maybe it just worked for me. So everything, this is not like a disclaimer. Yeah, I'm not like a psychologist being like this. This will work. So uh, take my word for it. And, And my one actually big insight across all these different topics is that. Um, the individual is the unit of analysis for what works. So, uh, what works for John doesn't work for Sue. Uh, so, uh, so the things that I've done, I've just kind of gone through all hundred different options and I've picked one that works for me. Um, so in regards to loneliness, uh, I think um, it is actually sort of like Roman era stoicism. Actually, <laughs> kind of was was my was my topic. So that's specifically uh, Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, that book. Um, and there's three main tenets of that. If you cut out all the metaphysics, so like the gods and then this that, and like just, just cut it down to like how to live through the day. Um, three things were useful in that context, uh, and one was that uh, you don't control the outcome no matter what. So that's the first one. So just again, in the context of being a, in the remote location, but you could apply this to anything, uh, the outcome is completely out of your control. And you can kind of see that by if you just go like, do I control the weather? Do I control physics? <laughs> do I control the stars? And then it's like, do I control like my neighbors? Do I control my mom? And the answer is no to all of these, of course. And it's like, do I control me? Well, maybe, but do I control like the individual cells in my body? <laughs> do I control the thought before I have it? Do I control my hunger? And very quickly, if you bite onto this, you'll see that your outcome is really out of your control in most cases, uh, and that's kind of an element of that surrender. So I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I have control, let's say, over the input, perhaps, and that's debatable. But the key element is that the outcome is out of my control, and that relieves you because as soon as you go, you know what? As long as I keep putting the right input in, the outcome is out of my control. That reduces anxiety because the outcome is in the future, right? And anxiety is usually future leaning. So that, just being the loneliness context, that was something that I would apply right away. And the second one is uh viewing reality as it is which is kind of what I talked about before another stoic concept uh where you know uh if some if you're in a scenario is it good or is it bad um not from like a moral standpoint but is it good or bad for me um so if your house burns down you're sad but maybe i'm your worst enemy i'm super happy both those things are narratives that we've created like what, what's the difference um so in i would strongly this in any scenario when you can reshift any any scenario to be an opportunity from something bad or you can reframe it to be something useful and then the last bit is uh, uh to be good in nature which I'll talk about in a little bit but the two main ones uh plus with just accepting uh, where you are in the moment uh allowed me to have that but it was only actually when I had like the, the break like I it was it was like multiple months of <laughs> being extremely lonely and then just being uh I was actually on a on a walk um and I had kind of had a the epiphany that oh if I just let this feeling hit me um, then uh, which again is a stoic thing as well like if you have a negative emotion you can leverage that to something good if you have a positive emotion you can leverage that as well it's not a bad thing to have the negative feeling Yeah, uh, that, again it's, it's how you reframe these things uh, so in that particular scenario um, I had that kind of that that gnawing sense of desperation to remove myself from the scenario uh, and then I just allowed that feeling to wash over me, kind of like a like a waterfall, you know, and you can kind of if you just zoom out kind of a meditative practice, If you just kind of zoom out and you go, oh, I'm having this feeling. Isn't that interesting? Let's just let nature take its course and let that feeling, uh, you know, re- reduce the barrier, uh, reduce the, the defenses. And then at the other side of that is relief. Um, so I can do that almost uh, mechanically now, not necessarily easy to do, but something I do on a regular basis if I get that feeling. So if I'm at home just sitting, I'm like, oh, I feel like I need to socialize or I feel kind of extra, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm in a bad position from a loneliness point of view. I'll, I'll literally kind of go through that kind of process. And as soon as I kind of intellectualize it like that, allow that feeling to kind of pass through me, I guess is the best way to describe that, then I have immediate relief, which isn't to say I can say that like that forever, but uh, loneliness, generally speaking, is something I can deal with much more effectively than I was before. Because at the time, I was just, you know, spastic. Like, I was like, I need to fix this. I need to quit my job. Ah. Like, you know, you start to shoot out in weird directions, uh, which is just kind of a naive way to go about it. Yeah. Loneliness is
0: is uh, as bad as we interpret it. Mm-hmm. The, it. At the factual level, reality is just you're alone. But loneliness is a choice in, in that sense, right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely, I'm, you know, each person's going to be different, of course. Uh, There's definitely like a biological, I said, underpinning, like you, 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 humans are social and, you know, one way to torture someone is to give them solitary confinement. And like, you know, that, so I'm not saying that you can just override this completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And this maybe is something else that we can talk about maybe later, but uh, there is an element of having to deal with yourself by yourself um, forces you to, is an opportunity, uh, and this is kind of an aside. So. Uh, don't go into the woods like me for three years <laughs> up in the north. Uh, but what you can do is, I find that if I even if I do it now, I'm sitting at home, um, I have I, I know what I need to do, but I just distract myself. Uh, and I really know that I need to go do that, you know, that important work, but I'm just going to go watch a movie instead. And, uh, and I'm, I'm avoiding, and maybe even at a macro level, you know, maybe I should quit my career and do something else or what, something more dramatic, but I'm just going to ignore that. Um, so there is an element of, uh, uh, being able to be with yourself in some ways can be torturous if you know you have to go do something. Uh, and there's a good book by um, I think it's Social Nitchin, the uh, the Gulag Archipelago, uh, mm. where uh, you know millions of people went through the sort of Soviet Union mm. communist sort of style gulags uh, in Russia. Uh, and one of the key insights from that book, because it's just a fantastic read, I recommend it ten out of ten, um, is that the people who were in solitary confinement for like years and like decades and decades often viewed that as the most important time of their life in a positive way Mm. and they actually felt bad for the guards who would like abuse them and hit them because they were able to deal with their shit right because you're forced there's no there's everything's externally removed from you you're just in a cell you're being essentially tortured and abused and people are dying all around you but the survivors were like oh like at least based on his recollection and and reporting would often articulate that experience as super good because they were able to uh pure sort of purify their soul in the sense of like being happy in their own shoes which is a super interesting concept or keeping their soul uh intact or their conscience clear and they actually felt bad like had empathy for the jailers who were not forced to go through the same process so if you are in a i mean you know if, if you're uh elderly person you're in a chronically lonely situation that's tough but if you do find yourself not able to be with yourself uh in in some ways you can view it as an opportunity uh to square up to the things that challenge you and everyone knows like everyone's gonna be different right you know uh challenge your mom on something or get a boyfriend or get a girlfriend or whatever like it's gonna be different for each person but most people know like where they're they're limited and often it's just your inability to square up to it and i think being in a lonely position is actually the place to do it
0: right it's always when you realize you don't have a a, a line to call your mom anymore that make you actually to think what can you do yourself to manage the situation?
1: Totally. Well, I mean, I even did it here. Uh, you know, before we started, I, uh, you went, you went to just leave for a second. And I thought, oh, I'm kind of nervous to do this. And, you know, like, and normally my, my own advice is to square up and go do it. And I thought, oh, I'll just go on, uh, on like, you know, WhatsApp or Facebook or something. And then just, or like Instagram and just kind of like scroll just for a second, <laughs> like to, 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 to not square up to it. And it's, it's kind of a similar thing. Um. So part, part of that, like that, there's an opportunity when you have to deal with yourself., uh, so if you do find yourself in a lonely scenario, um you can you can uh, you can turn that into a win. Again, it's context dependent, but that's something I've gone. All my self growth has been either through experience that's like you know in in the in the wind or like in in the wild rather, or I'm by myself and like cutting out the distractions and then finally squaring up to what's the issue, whatever that might be, right. Yeah, but that's um, not easy. I'm not saying that you just go do that, but it's like that's yeah. And you gotta you gotta take a millimeter step at that one thing at a time, right? And and and
0: it's it's a iterative process. You're never just A to B. Then you find the answer, you overcome. It's always, you know, there are micro successes, micro failures as well in the step. Um, a, a related thought I had when you were talking about um the the, the prisoners were, I think, a lot of times we. Uh, we anchor our meaning on some external subjects uh-huh. like our family like like God, religion like um, or the career we have for some work colleagues yeah. but once that thing is taken away from us then we are left with um, just nothing it, it, bare bones of ourselves and how do you find meaning to continue to be the best version of yourselves right. without living for someone right. um, I think that's when that's when people have to really stand up and say, even if there's no one counting on me, I still have to be accountable to myself because it's actually easier for me too is if you're accountable for other people, which like a lot of the self-help books talks about, you need to have accountability partners mm. in the gym, in, in other workplaces. So, But the I think the biggest triumph is when you find that accountability in yourself without relying on other people. Mm. So you define your own meaning. I think loneliness is a part of that is... I had the similar experience uh, in a winter where I just stayed at my friend's house. He, he went back home. So I was alone completely in New York city and also during the holidays in December. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I would, I would force myself to go out at times um, just to say hi to the, to the security for sure. uh, at the gym, just to have micro interactions to make my life so much better. Right. Um, and I was signed up for these volunteer events to distribute food to the homeless on the uh Christmas Day Eve mm. but I was lost on the way there and I I didn't find the gathering point so for that year's uh, Christmas Eve I was just wandering around in the snow in New York City by myself and then came home um after that and um you know these these moments can be really crushing um but also it's when when you realize I have to decide even if nobody cares, I need to put some things on my agenda tomorrow. I need mm-hmm. to work towards my goals. I need to still eat healthy, still go to the gym, still you know
1: complete doing the laundry, the little things in life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, yeah, like if, if 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 your if your situation isn't working out, uh, you can either be like accusatory and be like the world isn't bending to my will the way I want it to, generally speaking, or something about me isn't general like isn't producing the outcome like, the way that I'm looking for right uh so there's there's an element of like taking res- like again you don't control those outcomes but there's an element of taking control of your of yourself and actioning things so you're right your story is perfect like you know you gotta set the calendar and go out and loneliness is an epidemic like definitely in like the older scenario like often sometimes people would call the police just to like say hi and, you know we come and we sometimes like make food or dinner or something like that like a uh, uh, Christmas, New Year's time, people call just to you know say hi, you know, hey nine one one. So and we would you know we were empathetic of, of the, that scenario. So, uh, but it's totally up to the individual to kind of make to, to, to like like you said like to, to move and uh, when bad things uh, or to, to to move on that. It's a difficult difficult scenario, um, yeah. Especially because humans are so naturally like uh, um, outgoing, and if and if you find yourself like uh, without any sort of family and friends around, it can be definitely super difficult for sure. Right, yeah.
0: especially it's relative too. You look at other people, you especially nowadays in social media, you see everyone else is having a social gathering. They're happy with their family. Uh-huh. Um, it's all relative in that sense to his narrative it's perception. So um, I think, yeah, loneliness is um, is one of the biggest battles we all fight uh, uh-huh. s- at some point in our life. But looking back. What were some other battles you've had to come through to overcome later on?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've had a few. Uh, so after the, and this kind of ties into the sort of your kind of story actually a little bit maybe perhaps, mm. but uh, w- w- when you're coming to meaning, like finding meaning and stuff. But, uh, so a- so after that, uh, policing experience, I switched to went to Calgary, Alberta, and uh, worked in the Calgary Police Service there doing intelligence related work and mostly working in the counterterrorism and public safety space. Uh, and in that context, uh, I actually had a bad back injury. Um, so I had to get a surgery at in my lower spine. Um, and that uh, took me out for a long time. I, the surgery didn't go as well as anticipated. And uh, for maybe about a year, I, I couldn't really walk. I mean, first month is really bad. But I, for almost a year, I couldn't walk for more than 30 minutes or sit for 30 minutes. So I'd have to plan my day and you know i go okay i'm gonna go to the grocery store i've got this kind of 30 minute walking kind of window because after after uh let's say 30 to 45 minutes of us even just walking i would have enough like leg pain or sciatic pain uh that i'd have to lay down so wherever i was i would literally lay down i used to carry like a little blow-up mattress with me Uh, And so I'd lay down in really bizarre places, like H&M, you know, (laughs) like in between, because I'm just like, I got to like sit, right? Uh, But then sitting would cause pain too. So it's a real nightmare. Uh, So I went from full function, running around, um, I'm about 90% golden retriever energy, you know, I'm running around all the time.
0: How old were you back then?
1: I would have been like 28, I guess, at that point. And uh, yeah, so I, I had this, so I went from full function, running around every weekend, every day. Uh, to no function, uh, which was a blow to the identity, actually more than anything else. the the physical stuff was difficult, but because uh, you have an identity and you, you think you you're it's fixed, but it's not. Like your your identity, if you're a, let's say a police officer or a firefighter or whatever, or an astronaut, like you you don't own that identity. It's kind of like you inhabit it for a bit, right? Uh, and part of that police identity is to be physically fit and active and do stuff. So that was and my sporty background, I felt like I'm an athlete. You know, I'm tough. More protein shakes. Uh, so uh, the physicality was is uh, sad for my identity side of the coin. Um, and then so I burned through that. And then concurrently, about a year after that surgery, which has been, I guess, 2017, I suppose, uh, after that, I actually ended up getting like an autoimmune thing, which almost got me too. Uh, I ended up having like a virus and it kind of lodged in my immune system in a weird way. Uh, and so I spent a week or two in the hospital and had a year of trouble. But I actually thought it was going to kill me at one point too. So, so the, the combination of both those made it difficult um, outside of my control. Uh, and that that and that and was a good test. Because at that point, I had just kind of started to create my framework and solidify it. And that was a crucible to kind of... Um, uh, practice my philosophy of life against like the events that were happening to me in the moment. So, um, I've, I've regained my, my dance moves. I can, I'm, I'm relatively full function. I'm reduced. I don't, I don't, you don't, you won't see me at the gym doing you know squats for a lot of weight, you know, but, uh, but I can still go out and dance and run around and stuff like that. But, uh, and that's one of the reasons I've actually pursued the Interpol route. Cause it's not, it's physically hands on, you know, so I'm not operational in that, in that sense anymore. But, uh, but yeah, so that was probably a, a traumatic year or two. Uh, but, uh, I feel like coming out of that, um, I'm like more of a complete person. So at the time, you know, in the moment it's difficult, but, uh, but the sort of, um, the strategies I employed and, and some worked and some didn't, but what I came out of that with was, I'm definitely more resilient. Um, for sure. We can talk about that if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Just how, uh, it, it was, it was, you said over a year,
0: um, multiple surgeries. Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah, so I've, I've had two back surgeries in the same location, uh, but the, the the key one was that uh, the last one where I had a microdisectomy where they, they go in, and they they take a piece of the disc out at L5S1, so it's the lower lumbar spine and the sacra, uh, yeah, sacrum, I think, uh, but right at the bottom of your spine, lower lower back. Uh, and they trimmed the disc, but unfortunately, uh, there was some scar tissue and things like that. So every time I moved, the nerve that would come down from my lower back down to my right leg Uh, Would get irritated and it was kind of swollen and just was a real, a real nightmare. Um, So that took me from being operational, running around every day, to uh, being completely, um, essentially disabled. Uh, It changed my whole life outcome or life life course actually, uh, and that was destabilizing. From the reasons I mentioned, it was an identity crisis. Mm. um, So that I had to kind of figure out uh, more meaning, let's say. Uh, or, or, or change and this is kind of where your comment was before where you have to figure out uh, a reason to live you mm-hmm. know because um, it was definitely a depressive I wasn't depressed but it was a depressive event uh, especially because I was still going to the office you're still around all your peers who are able-bodied and doing what you used to do and now I'm like in a different position Um, So from a professional point of view, I leveraged it. Uh, A friend of mine, a group of us, we created an intelligence collection methodology program that was unique uh, at that point, still exists, uh, did lots of really good work. So from a professional point of view, I said, you know, fuck it. Like, I can't do that. I'm going to do something else, right? Mm -hmm. And so I took the worst case scenario and turned it into a a pearl, let's say. Um, And that's helped me career-wise in a big way. Um, I actually was doing a PhD on this topic of how to collect information in a kind of unique way and that's because of my back to an extent right Mm -hmm. so uh there's always an opportunity to pursue something good uh, but to perceive it like that is actually mechanical um Mm. so this goes back to that stoic kind of thing right it's like do you control the outcomes no (laughs) Uh, is 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 this a good or bad event and i just i mean it's bad by any no matter how you frame it uh, but i chose to view that as an opportunity not or something that's to, to leverage and then the third element of stoicism is uh to be good in nature um and then to be is to be in the moment as in like i'm not in, in the future with anxiety i'm not in the past with regret because again i don't control those things um to be good in the stoic realm would be uh to be for others so agopic love you know like to, to be to do do things that are within your capacity for others I and mean, that's debatable but that's just the way they would frame that um and then nature would be like uh the logos um Nature, as in like a sort of uh, like the, the, the environment around you, or God, like the all-encompassing, um, and to be locked in between those, so that you're not different than nature itself. That's the element to be as well. So that's a technical sentence. Um, and essentially that th- those three things, um, applied with something I'll call logotherapy in a sec, um, uh, allowed me to make good decisions moving forward in all of those negative contexts. Um, so essentially when I was in that, uh, if I was able bodied, let's say, uh, before that back injury, um, I had that framework in place already and, uh, to be good in nature like that sense that literally drove every decision I made and still does to this day. Um, it's brilliant. Try it out yourself. And what that means is that if I'm going to decide between, uh, uh, going out for a night of drinking or going to the gym and working out, if I've, if I need clarity on that, I literally will just go to that sentence and say, what's the activity, the input That will most likely generate a positive outcome for others in the agopic love context so not romantic love but like love for the other doing something for someone else uh, which is where you can derive a lot of meaning which i'll get to in a sec and 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 because that to me i'm pursuing my highest value the, the highest calling that will serve the most people and that has the most let's say value to me in the hierarchy of values that you can create uh that creates a scenario where um i just the decision becomes easy on that axis. It's just, you know, left or right, but everything crosses through that kind of fiery hoop. Uh, what's the best for, for others? So, and, and it can change, it can be arbitrary. So if I've uh, been really good for the last six months and uh, I've been really working too hard and my friends are going out and I really you know want to go do that, then I'll go out and do that because I need to relax and that'll you know put me in a better mind space to be good for others in a different way. Uh, but then if I, uh, uh, on the other hand, if I've gone out four nights in a row, And I asked myself that question, maybe going to the gym and, you know, having a smoothie is better than going out with the boys for drinks. So I apply that literally on a daily basis, a hundred times a day in all things. Like, should I brush my teeth? Yes. Because if my teeth fall out, how can I, how can I be for you, be for me or, you know, so it's, it's inherently selfish in the uh, Ayn Rand, um, objectivism Mm. kind of way. Mm. I'm selfishly trying to maximize my potential, but and that but that benefits you and everyone else yes. right so, there, so so see how that all fits together um, there's a flaw in that not a flaw but a, a danger where you go what's best for others if, if it's not good morals then you know if you're uh, if you're uh, um, trying to uh, you know do bad things in the world then it can twist so you have to have a strong objective fundamental like ethics underneath that but but the little framework is beautiful i've never made a decision that i've regretted with that moniker so for example i'm hurt my back i'm in a bad position and i ask myself should i lay in bed like a bitch, <laughs> which I did for many days. Uh, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Or should I go out and do something at work and you know, create this new intelligence collection methodology because that was an opportunity? And of course, the answer is do the second one of the latter because that's useful. And so I immediately pursued that without any hesitation. Right? And then even if I had failed at that, no issue, because it was the right decision in the moment. Uh, so I pursue things now all the time. And because I'm multivariant, I do lots of different things. Uh, And as long as I've used that prism to make the decision, I almost never regret the decision ever because it was the right decision in the moment. And I'm painfully aware that the outcome is out of my control. It can totally fail. Uh, And then also, uh, yeah, so but if it fails, at least I made the right decision, you know, so um, I almost have no regrets now. Um, Like if I walked out, like coming to Interpol was a, a big life decision, let's say moving from Canada here. Uh, but I thought, oh, this is where I can contribute the most. This super good opportunity in my mind for various reasons. I pursued it. But if I had come here and I got hit by a bus the first day, <laughs> you know, like walking out of out of the airport, um, I wouldn't have regretted that decision at all because it was the right decision at the time. And if you just keep doing those one stacked after another, in theory, you can live a pretty good life. Yeah.
0: So, so the the moniker, or the framework you have is, what is the best outcome for others.
1: Yeah, as because you have to create choices. a yeah, you have to create a hierarchy of values. So I've just yeah. articulated in the Roman, in the Stoic point of view and you can you can you can insert whatever you want there. Uh, it can be like what's best for me like an Ayn Rand kind of version, right? Like uh, you can pursue it like that. Uh, that that's for you to decide. But just for me, that's what I perceive as the highest value. It's something outside of myself. Uh, and that can be anything you want. In the Stoic realm, it would be uh, like a bird is a bird, a dog is a dog, a cat is a cat. So, a human should act as a human should. But there's lots of variation in that. So, if you're a builder, go build stuff. If you're a, you know, like a doctor, go doctor. If you're a mechanic, go mechanic. Whatever you want, but uh, it's got to be intuitive to your to your intuition. Your intuition should guide you. Um, And that's an issue I have a lot with because I I find I'm more conscious mind versus subconscious, my intuition. Um, So often I find myself going, well, I should become a lawyer because the money, but my subconscious is like, oh, I think you should become like a painter, you know, or whatever, like you actually want to do. And if you don't follow those there's a neurosis there right uh which is like the union neurosis which is like you're fighting against yourself uh so um i often will when i'm asking myself that question i try to make sure that my conscious mind and my subconscious are in alignment Uh, because if they're not then i'm in distress let's say um so should i should i go to interpol and do this yes because it feels good in my gut my intuition i'm I'm following the image because like that 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 lines up with where I'm at, mm. but then also consciously I'm like, yeah, this is a good opportunity. And, and my conscious helps me, you know, maneuver, uh, the bus route, you know, to work, you know? Um, so there's, there's that, that's something to consider as well. That's difficult.
0: It sounds so simple, elegant, but also, yes, it has been useful <laughs> over and over again in, in situations big and small.
1: Yeah. It, it it's never failed me because it, 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 because because I've taken the outcome out of it, like completely. Uh, whether I fail or not, by anyone's definition, is immaterial yeah. because the decision was right at the moment. Yeah. So what?
0: So is the one that most likely lead to that, to the outcome.
1: Yeah. 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 So so it's uh, yeah. Like y- you can you can take any any scenario. Uh, sh- should I quit my job or should I not? Uh, let's say like you just like make up an example. Um, and then you go, okay, well, I, I want to become a doctor. Uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm a the perfect example. Was when I was in finance, mm. um, I didn't use this, but I would use this. There, I was in finance, making money, doing really well. You know, mm, like mm. wearing the fancy suit, whatever, which is good. It, it, I'm not. It's not a critique. And I thought, oh, this isn't. Let's say me per se. Uh, what is the? What can I? What can I do in my life that would maximally, maximally give me the most meaning, the most value mm. internally, not money value, but just like like uh, internal value and I thought policing 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 which was something and in Canada being a police officer is not glorious like mm. the, no one gives you a high five for coming to a police officer so it was a on a on a uh social socioeconomic point of view not the right decision to make loss of income moving up to the middle of nowhere like it, 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 no one said fraser that's a good idea right mm. uh, but in my mind I was like this is something I got to do and I pursued it so if I were in that same scenario today I would say uh, like, you know, to be good in nature, that's the line. And I'll go, you know, I have my little circle that I'm jumping through, and I go, which path should I take? You know, should I pursue the policing or should I stay in finance? And the decision would be very easy for me. Now, you might have the different answer because you go, you know what? I'm going to stay in finance. I'm going to make a million bucks. I'm going to donate it all to charity or whatever. Or, or helping people with their finances is the best thing since sliced bread. You could be a police officer and switch back the other way. It's not a moral judgment for anyone else. It's just internally what feels good with you. And as long as you pursue what you internally are in alignment with then you're not in neurosis you're where you know you're, you're shooting in one direction but you really want to go the other and then your life has no regrets essentially because you're making the right decision in the moment yes. and you can literally do it like yeah. one after another it's it's, it's like uh for example i don't really drink alcohol okay uh or i eat relatively healthy this is a better one mm. um when i go out for food sometimes if there's a buffet like i can't help it i'll eat everything Every, like just desserts with whatever but before i start the debauchery i literally go like, is this, is this the right decision or not before? Because once I start, I can't stop. <laughs> uh, and if I've been eating badly for like, you know, a week or two straight and I mean, you know, I value my fitness because I want to be fit, you know, again, for the wider community for, I don't want to be a burden on anyone, you know, even just from that perspective, uh, uh, I'll literally go, no, it, and it's quick. It's just like, it's, it's like, nah, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Bam. That's it. And then I won't. Be ridiculous, but sometimes I'm like, you know what, Fraser, you've been working hard. you deserve this. it's gonna put put your mind at ease, and I just eat ten thousand calories and you know they have to wheel me out in a wheelbarrow. you know <laughs> so 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 that that I and mean, I've talked a lot about stoicism here. That's just one of my uh, things I use, but but that that is the most practical day-to-day thing. and then you add your values and your ethics to it. It's like a tool. It's like um it's like having a hammer and you you've got two nails to hit and the, it just helps you guide you to which nail you want to hit. And that's a bad metaphor, but you maybe but you catch. gotta
0: have a clear Value system first. You got to know. Who yeah. Are you, what's your identity? What you're made of? Yeah. Here uh, for is the why question.
1: Yeah, it? yeah. So, so, so that's practical, like day to day, get through the, get through the day. Uh, and there's yeah. lots of other little tips and tricks and whatever, but that's that's a good one. Uh, that's the framework I like to use. Um, you don't have to though. There's other yeah. versions, like you know, Epicureanism yeah. or something like that. You know, pursue pleasure for pleasure's sake, things of that nature. Um, but that's a whole other bag of apples. Uh, but the on regards to meaning, uh, you again, this is just my perspective on this. You can split this up into two versions. There's mm. essence, mm. and then there's existence. Uh, so essence would be like the universe is made for you, very specifically. You know, so that would be like if you were a religious, like Abrahamic f- faiths version. So like you know, Christian God creates the universe for you to manipulate Adam and Eve, like the whole thing. Um, and then that's fine, and and you can do that, and you'll actually live a very happy life if you just pursue the local religion of your context. It's it's the leap of faith, the Kierkegaardian leap of faith. Just pursue the local religion or the local customs around you. Uh, Don't think about it too much. You'll probably live a good life because there's probably a pathway that leads to generalized human flourishing. That's a whole other conversation, but that's one way to do it. My brain doesn't work that way. So I'm more on the existence side, which is uh, uh, existentialism, so the, the question of what what's the point, where's the meaning, and on that framework, the world isn't made specifically for you, where there's rules and morals built into the system, and you just have to follow them. It's now you have to generate the meaning, mm. and that's a much more different. That's a, that's a difficult question. So my pathway along the philosophical realm is like i'm deep deep in the weeds to try to figure out what generates the most meaning what's the best way to do it what's the best way to live um it's taken me a long time to run through it so i don't recommend it even because it takes a huge commitment Mm. and if you don't find a resolution at the end of it then you're actually in a state of nihilism because you're like it's very easy to critique all the different philosophies it's Mm. very easy to critique all the religions Uh, and my epiphany on this let's just say before we get into it is that um what 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 generates meaning for you is going to be or, or what philosophy or what framework is uh, is is going to be the one that works the best is the one that you feel strongly attached to. So I have elements of my philosophy of life that are irrational to anyone. Uh, like I like the Eastern sort of, sort of uh, element that uh, the world is like a big play and consciousness is in everyone and God's everywhere. Like, like, like you're totally irrational. But I'm mm-hmm. like, sometimes I'm just like, oh, we're all in a big play and this is fun. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's very uh, Alan Watts, you know, like watching Mm -hmm. a crazy YouTube video, that that, that kind of stuff. Listen to him for five minutes. I I like that. It feels good. Mm. Would I present that to anyone in a way like to defend it? Undefensible, unfalsifiable. Epistemologically, it's difficult to articulate the value of that. But internally, I find a lot of I get a lot of juice to squeeze out of that. Mm. Um, So I like the existentialist side and I like specifically because it's a it's a uh, a tradition of many different authors and, 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 uh, philosophers. And I specifically like, um, the version, uh, of logotherapy specifically. So Viktor Frankl, Mm -hmm. uh, World War II Holocaust survivor, um, psychiatrist. And he, in in his book, um, Man's Search for Meeting, which is a 10 out of 10 recommend. Uh, he roughly states that, um, there's several, uh, reasons to live, like the, uh, the why's is for mm-hmm. your question. Um, and that, but, and, and then you can break them down to externally uh, produced or internally derived. Um, and so the, the first three are externally uh, in the external environment. And that would be like uh, friends and family. They mm-hmm. give you a reason to live. You know, you have a kid and you go, Oh my gosh, this kid is my reason to live. Great. Uh, or friends and family and uh, people around you. Yeah. The second one would be uh, work or acts of work. I'm a, poet and I write poetry or I I build houses with my hands like things of that nature and that derives value to you um, and then the last one would be aesthetics which is a branch of philosophy but uh, aesthetics and like nature is beautiful things are beautiful I listen to music and I'm happy the arts like <laughs> that kind of stuff right and everything in between anything you can imagine um, and and when people say for example to me uh, what's what's the why do you like live and they say something like I want to be happy. This is kind of that, right? It's like I want to do things that give me meaning. Uh, for me, I like to coach football, American football. Uh, I get a lot of meaning out of that. To someone else, that's a terrible idea. Like, what, what's the point? Uh, but I g- generate a ton of value and meaning from that. So when people say I want to be happy, that's cool. I'm into it. But all three of those things can be just immediately ripped away. This is yeah, Viktor yeah. Frankl's point. So yeah. in the uh, the camps, uh, he noticed that uh the germans would consciously or subconsciously do this where you know you'd show up to auschwitz or whichever camp and they would take away they would say put all your valuables in 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 the box mm-hmm. and then they would throw them they'd throw them on the ground like right in front of you to kind of be like everything that had value to you no longer exists your family split them all up no value there no friendships right uh, and then, oh, uh, you know, you're a doctor. Okay, well, we'll make you lift rocks. Oh, you're the you're the construction guy. We'll make you the doctor. Like they just just total perversion of uh, of of or the destruction of the values of meaning. And what he observed was that people would. Uh, quickly expire and pass away if they couldn't have a reason to live and so all those things are externally derived and so then what he found which is the most interesting thing and this is social nitsun too with the camp survivors in the the gulags so you've got two really extreme scenarios that's why i like my philosophy to be kind of extreme because i want it to work in the worst case scenario in case i'm ever in it (laughs) Uh, both but let's like victor frankl first Uh, found that the people who survived, um, again, it's luck, you know, it doesn't matter what your philosophy is, if you know, if you if if it's your if you're uh, if the German uh, or the Nazi uh, camp guy wants to shoot you, it doesn't matter what your philosophy is at that moment. But interestingly anecdotally he found that the people who survived the most or who who thrived in that environment uh were people who derived value from the suffering they were in not the externally derived elements so it didn't matter what you look like when you came into the camp you could be like the buff burly guy or the skinny dude who's looked like he's about to die you know like just from a like a stiff breeze um it didn't matter uh about that as much, because all the external things were stripped away. What matters is if you had an internal generative reason to survive, uh, or to do to 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 an internal uh, meaning creation. So, um, yeah. So so that's it. So essentially, uh, you're suffering. You can suffer well, or you can suffer poorly. However, you define that. But that that's internally derived, and no one can take that away from you. And that's a key life insight. And then the social Nitzan one is essentially don't do anything this is his experience with the camps broken down in like one second read the book <laughs> uh don't do anything that makes your soul unpure or that that corrupts your consciousness mm-hmm. you like keep your conscience clean mm-hmm. and if you just which is which is to be good nature to make one right decision after another so the people who survived in the Soviet Union context, again, it's completely random. It's just, you know, who, who got a bullet and who didn't? It's just an awful, it's a good book to read, but it's terrible outcomes for everyone. But some people legitimately thrived in that environment. And it's not because they uh, were the most corrupted, it was because they were the least corruptible. And that's the key element. So they chose to suffer honorably, or they chose to only do things that they internally agreed with regardless of the outcome. Uh, and that's extreme uh, if you stack those together because i think they're the same thing roughly um i think that's the best way to live and i've got examples where i personally have leveraged that insight in bad scenarios uh totally fine
0: so yeah um i've read the book the the, the, the search for meaning i think it, it did shape the view i have currently on things as well um i think the key question is how to how do you do that how do you it's 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 something that's easy to point out but Mm. hard to execute how do you find meaning in suffering because it's not it's not intuitive it's not the default response yeah um and for me i think a lot of times when you see hope and despair it's always for the what what comes after it's always for i'm failing now because i can come back stronger because i i can build up the skill sets when the same situation arises again then i know how to respond it's it's always for the next time that i can emerge stronger but how do you find meaning in suffering itself regardless of whether there's you will face it again or not Mm. um it so i think i mean ties back to the the two books you, you mentioned great great examples of that and um, we initially we put these hopes and our, our anchor our meaning on other people but then later on then then we find ourselves in these difficult situations um, we accept the suffering first we're we, we not working against it but also as you said we keep our conscience clear and pure so mm-hmm. it's only so know that we're suffering for the purity of our Conscience if just to tie these two together. Is that would you would you agree with that? So you're suffering even though you can't see a point of of this immediately, but
1: it's is the alternative it's mm. is worse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the it, yeah, I've got good example. this is like Eckert Toll, right? Like the, the he's German, I think, but uh he lives in Vancouver. Um so he, he wrote yeah, that yeah. book. Uh what, oh my god, what's the book called? Um uh, no, oh my gosh! I'm losing my mind now. Something
0: enlightenment now? Yeah, that's enlightenment it. Enlightenment now. Yeah, yeah, he's got
1: two or three or I don't but but like yeah, you know, know uh, yeah. so so for it, it's like kind of like secular Buddhism. It, it, yeah. It's a, it's um your main goal in life is to to experience the event. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh So so I and, and to, to your question, I I think there's uh there's two elements to that I I don't think if, if you're not suffering, you don't need to suffer well. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying suffer unneedlessly or f- to find suffering. I'm not saying to go. Uh, uh, take responsibility, you know, put Christ puts the cross on his back, like, you know, like, like find responsibility for sure. Pursue things that are meaningful to you, which is taking responsibility, uh, by default. Uh, and that there's value in that. So I'm breaking it into two. There's, mm-hmm. there's externally validated things. So if your life is lovely and literally nothing as bad as happening, you know, uh, spread the love, baby, like go find something that uh, works for you in that agopic love con context and, and pursue, uh, your Wildest ambitions, 100%. But if you also find yourself in a context that you cannot get out of, where you cannot generate those kind of three values of meaning, then at the baseline, Brock bottom, you're in the worst case possible scenario. Hell, everything's on fire. Like just whatever is your worst case, hell, you can always choose to suffer well. So I'm not saying that you have to, Yeah, mm. uh, mm. it doesn't have to anchor your day to day. It's mm. just that, and you will eventually find yourself in these kind of scenarios. Uh, uh, and, and, and with regards to the corrupting and I can talk about both but with regards to corrupting the soul I see this all the time Like uh, from a police point of view um, when people are doing things they know are bad that are not the right thing to do and again what's right and what's wrong it's a, it's a whole other conversation mm. but when you you can see that it's breaking them and i even have a relevant example uh this year uh I have lots of thousands of examples of this and everyone knows this like when you're doing something that you know you shouldn't do mm-hmm. you pay a, you, you you don't get away with it you pay a, a cost internally uh that is in my in my experience or at least my perspective that isn't worth worth it and i don't think people get away with really anything in their life uh now some people are malevolent and have like that sort of dark triad uh, personality traits and that's a whole other conversation but just generally speaking on on a bell curve kind of component uh i think people suffer when they do what they know they shouldn't uh and i have a perfect example that's i'm working at interpol um there's been some in in my uh in my organization um there was some you know drama with some people within the organization doing things they shouldn't be doing uh and you know like, like just nor within the normal uh range of you know uh uh, bureaucracy and, and, and things that happen at big companies and people engaging just normal human being stuff, uh, but it created a scenario where some people and one person who I'm thinking of in uh, had uh, uh, did something that he shouldn't have done. So he 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 didn't act honorably based on his own internal code. Uh, he knew he should have stuck up for someone and he mm. didn't. Right, and uh, I got to watch this individual over a year. Just like slowly get consumed by his inability to act courageously in the moment and to do the right thing, you know. Uh, there's no more. There's no a higher burden than the person who doesn't act morally when they need to. Uh, and it was very interesting. So that person chose to suffer poorly and made the and did things that were against what he wanted to do because he felt pressure uh, from someone who was mean above him to, to 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 bow right. And there was lots of negative things, and you could see the posture when I first met this individual was positive. Everything's like, you know, he's a strong individual. And then over this one period year was just, you know, like by the end he's crumpled, he's sitting in the corner, he's not effective from a professional point of view. Um, like just it, people's perception of him is a lot lower than at the beginning. Um, and then that sort of crisis resolved, uh, everything's and now he's back to normal fine, but he paid a massive cost for that. Um, and so again, it's a, it's a minor example. I didn't really give details, I suppose, but, uh, cause it's not my place to do so, but, but just, I think you can see this in, in your day to day. Like when I engage with people on a day to day basis, uh, you, you can tell the people who are, uh, doing the things they know they need to be doing. And those who are not, I, I, I can clearly see it within, short period of time with people whether they're following that maxim organically without being able to articulate it or not and i find personally uh, now that i've kind of adopted that for a long period of time now um now it's so sensitive that when i do something that i like even even something silly like i should help that person walk across the street but i didn't do it like even little things i'm like 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 i can feel it like pulling at myself because i sleep like perfectly at night, you know, like I'm, I'm comfy. Uh, but I find that I'm actually in distress when I'm now not doing that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think that's, I think there's a, f- for me anyways, there's like a fundamental baseline, uh, f- truth about sort of like the structure of reality as a human being, where it's like, if you're, if, if, if you're, um, not doing what you think you need to be doing, you will suffer for it. Um, yeah. and, and that's just something I think is is bedrock, and, and and all the different philosophies and literatures like they all sort of kind of crisscross on that. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's the it's the honesty value, right? Because like nothing works without it. So you're I think you're bio, it's a biological underpinning where if, if you're like uh, counterintuitively going against what you're biologically primed to do, you're gonna suffer for it. It's not even just a philosophical thing. It's like it's a physiology mm-hmm.
0: almost. Do you see that in your um, your line of work a lot from the cases you work on from? from the crimes people people for sure before. for sure they're good people but they're in bad situations or would you say it's more um, murky it's depends yeah. on the cases and...
1: yeah so uh i'll give an extreme example um yeah. uh, th- this was a, a large intuition to me in regards to human behavior um i i i uh Engage with uh, Sam Harris, like the yeah. author guy. A lot of his stuff, and, and he talks about free will and things of that nature. And um, he portrays the point that, I want in a podcast or in a book. I can't even remember now, but um, that like you know, free will is dubious in the sense that like you know your 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 body knows the thought before you say it you know before you have awareness of it uh, and that you know your your background in some cases uh, dictates uh, outcomes to an extent. So when I was working in one of those northern communities I referred to before, uh, we used to um, for example when we would put people in the police truck uh, we had like a, 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 like a cage in the back for people not a cage that's the wrong term but uh, like like the you know, the two front seats and then mm-hmm. the two back seats were for yep. prisoners right yep. uh, or people we'd arrested. And uh, and there was just uh, that community was particularly violent, like I mentioned. And there's a lot of people who were struggling and, and having hard times in life. Uh, but I actually had earplugs that I would put in because it was a 10 minute to 15 minute drive from the community to the where the police station was. Mm. And people would scream and yell so much consistently mm. on a, like a daily basis mm. at us. And they mean things like I'll kill you, like, you know, if you like just just the absolute worst things you could possibly say to someone consistently at us over time. And I'd actually wear earplugs because it was so loud it actually hurt my ears because they put their – it's called the silent patrolman. It's the plastic in between the police officer, the front cabin Mm. and the back. Mm. Whatever that's what they call it. And there's little gaps. And so guys would stick their head like at the gap and then Mm. just scream, sometimes just nonsense but sometimes really mean stuff. And it actually would hurt your ears because if someone yells in your ear for 10 minutes, it's actually – difficult uh so i actually had earplugs in uh for that and it used to really rattle me uh because sometimes they would find ways through the armor uh not not i was pretty resilient to this but sometimes you know like if if you were let's say an obese officer uh, like that every day up there anyways every day someone would say something really mean to you like you you know like you know meanest things you could possibly say to someone who was let's say overweight or if you had some sort of physical imperfection could be anything like I, i've got a big nose so i'd always get like the beak the nose you know and, and to me it's funny because like i don't have an issue with that uh, but you know they're just trying to find a reason and sometimes they get really personal like because uh, the community was small and we lived in it there's only you know 2,500 people up there in that little community so they say i know who your wife is and i'm gonna get her you know with lots of bad language attached to that and that can really send you off the rails right so imagine that now for like a year every day seven days a week getting this so so people would just like kind of go uh, off off the rails. And so as soon as but as soon as I said, oh, um do they have, let's say, the free will to understand the actions that they're doing? And then sometimes you get psychological psychological reports from individuals, and you see, oh, okay, um, this person's first memory is a sexual assault at like four or five. You know, and you're like, okay, that's that like, wow. And then you just keep reading it's one bad event after another. And you're like man if i if we just flipped positions here i'd be exactly like that person so i have a huge degree of compassion and i found just just with that kind of concept i was able to go oh this person's yelling at me i get it if we flipped i'd be in the same position and that even though i'm not enjoying the the abuse i'm able to go i'm gonna do the right thing and i'm gonna you know be compassionate to this person and which is to say do my job and you know effective effect justice in the context that we're in Mm. um so but i noticed my other colleagues would often be rattled for like like the whole rest of the shift someone would get through the armor and say like that one thing that would kind of get to them and they're just completely off the rails for you know 40 like maybe a couple hours but i'd be able to go oh uh because they can't see through that compassionate lens where it's it's all the emotion and then they're not able to take that emotion and yes. flip it where i'm i'm still getting the feeling like i'm not happy to be yelled at and get made fun of for my you know nose I, my mom said i have a pretty face <sighs> but <laughs> it's, it, having that not to be true is uh, is is disruptive uh, but uh i was able to flip it but i wasn't like that before i would be just as mad too and i thought ah i'm, I'm so mad why it's kind of like a meditation thing now mm-hmm. i'm looking back at myself oh like why why is that happening and then i got and i have to go okay well what what are the mechanisms and then one of the things that helped me with that was this kind of like this sense of the no free will, which is that the, the rat runs the maze, the mouse runs the maze, which is to say that uh, your the context that you're in will will dictate the results. So if you yeah. were, if I, I would say if, if you took a thousand people from anywhere in the world and put them in that particular context, they would have done the exact same thing um, to an extent.
0: Yeah. So, so then then how where do you draw the balance of a, of a i would say an appropriate level of compassion versus um punishments or accountability for i mean it's, it, it can get very uh textbook intellectual because i i know it's yeah it's a subject matter is hot, hotly debated in a lot of areas for sure yeah w- what's your take on that because my one of the f- philosophy professors in my college he specializes in um determinism versus mm. free will. And his yeah, yeah, view yeah. is that everything's determined everything's determined just like you said, it's um it's pizza or fries so you, mm. it's something that occurred before you made the choice. Right, right. Of you. And um and that the implication of that is then um then you should then you should have a, a justice system where there's more um lenience for mm. um for criminals. C- correct,
1: yeah. So but yeah. then
0: why should we still keep the criminal justice system is for um demonstrated purposes to, mm. to to show other people if you if you actively consciously do this this is what you
1: could end up with for sure that's yeah. a it's a good, really good question um yeah so so when i'm talking about like leveraging like the free will concept in, yeah. in the context of work i'm using that as like a tool so if, if we if we talk about like determinism like uh uh like, you know, like hard determinism versus sobbing. Like, like the, I just it, opened it, a new Pandora's box. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other, uh, like, um, on-paper conversation. Uh, yeah. the, the, what I'm using is I'm going, I'm having a terrible time here. I need to de-escalate this in my mind, or I'm going to, you know, have an emotional reaction that's not good for anybody. Uh, how can I rip this down? And that concept was useful for me. Yeah. It, it's kind of like uh, you pick the religion that's useful to you. Like, what, yeah. what feels the it, It's that, yeah, yeah so it's That's a different conversation Uh, with regards to uh, or with regard to um, like uh, like like criminal justice stuff. uh, There's a certain percentage of people who uh, will be influenced by the societal pressure to um, to not do certain activities. So um, like if I go to the person and I say, uh, you know, would you uh, do this crime? One of the reasons one one, they won't do it because they feel ethically motivated not to. Uh, maybe they have you know good context that they're coming from, but two, they'll go, oh, there's a societal cost that I'm not willing to pay. And I don't mean like jail; I just mean like like the, the social pressure is powerful to align people towards the the mainstream. Mm. Uh, but there's a certain percentage of people, I think it's like five to seven percent, who don't have that issue at all. So if they become uh, ethically, let's say, uh, in line with societal values and they don't do any crime, that's fantastic. Go become a CEO, go become a doctor, whatever. But if you go down the criminal route, there are some individuals who who literally don't bow to the societal pressure to not do bad, bad things. Mm. Uh, So a lot, for me, it's not so much about like going to jail for justice's sake. It's it's more about like protection of the community
0: Mm.
1: more because there are some people that like you just cannot rehabilitate. Like it's just not, it's not no one on earth can can do it that's rare but there are those people and in the Canadian context often people will uh, because it's hard to go to jail for a long time in Canada so you'll see people um, uh, do a bad crime like a sexual assault something really bad and then they'll spend a few years in jail but they'll come back out and then they'll re-victimize again and you just see like you'll see on their criminal record as a because you're looking at the person you'll see like the same crime typology many many times uh, and that's unfortunate. So I think that that that's the the nexus. So regardless of their culpability in that, it's protection mm-hmm. of the community as, as as the first principle. I think that's right. that's where it's at. Um, yeah. And then you you could break it down by like by crime genre, and it's it's a whole other yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, a, a huge I mean, conversation. It, I think absolute you know, justice
0: is is impossible. We just have to maximize the greater good mm-hmm. for the community, and um,
1: yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: And, and that, that that lies right in your subject expertise, too, like your career, your police background. I mean, I've, I would have a, a lot of other questions on that, too.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Ha- happy to take them. Yeah, no, it's... Uh it's, it's, a, it's a nuanced uh, yeah. conversation, and I find that uh, – and, and I've just kind of, like, poked, poked at it. It's a big conversation. But yeah. my, my role before Interpol, I was uh, director in the Serious and Organized Crime Division of the Ministry of Public Safety. Yeah. And part of my role was the data broker for a research program – and data broker for the province on all, like, law enforcement data, as well as running a research program on crime reduction – uh, issues uh, amongst other uh, portfolios that I was managing at the time. And, uh, it was super interesting because oftentimes I would get, uh, like the data from the source. Like it would actually be like me personally calling the police chief of Vancouver and saying, I, I request this data on behalf of the province for this topic, whatever we were talking about. Uh, and, <laughs> and so I'd actually pull that data and then I would go, Oh, well, you know, from induction, I'd say, here's the data, this is what we can infer. Uh, and then, uh, people's perception outside of my little bubble were often much different. So uh, I find that the the whole uh, criminal justice conversation, which we can go into is often uh, one based in uh, not full facts on the ground. So uh, often I'll get people that w- like will come to me and say, Fraser policing X, Y, Z, especially in North America. It's a, it's a touchy subject, right? Uh, a- and then I'll say, okay, well, here's the, especially when I was in the, in the, the epicenter of the literal data transactions and, and in the know um, often uh, I would just provide information, not not an opinion, but just like, here's the data. Here's how many crimes on, you know, uh, like racial crimes or things of that nature. And then uh, roughly speaking, and then people would make an opinion off of that, which was different than their initial opinion when they came to me, if that makes sense. So it's it's a it's an interesting conversation. But I like uh, Sam Harris again, where mm-hmm. there's kind of like a moral landscape. the There's no objective right or wrong. It's just subjectively generated by all of us. So, you know, when, uh, for example, like if you take two babies and they're playing, like two-year-olds, let's say, and one kid pokes the other kid in the eye, the other kid Mm -hmm. cries, oh, I want to keep playing, I'll stop doing that we've just created a moral, like we've created a game or we've created a, a framework, a moral framework. And then now we're creating more complex ones at the societal level. Uh, so for 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 me, it's like a, it's a never ending constant debate. So if you said, let's say, you know, sex offenders should get 25 years and like, it's not fixed. I think that society continuously articulates and, and converses about it and it never ends mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. forever. Because I think there's an element of that, those sort of peaks and valleys and that societal, uh, of ethics, the Sam mm-hmm. Harris kind of moral yeah. landscape. So that, there's going to be highs and lows, but those are going to change based on culture, people, yeah. uh, and the epoch you're in, right? Yeah. So I think if we if we move slightly away from ethics, because I,
0: I find myself couldn't get my head away from that, mm. the scenario described from uh, when you're conducting the day-to-day policing in the police car and there are people shouting at you constantly. Very mm. um, you know, yeah. bad things. So <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you operate, carry on your day-to-day um, under threat, um, do you do you minimize that? Do you um, do you actually take that to heart and, and think about it, or do you just kind of cast it aside and, and go Saudi another year? As a police officer, how do you go home and sleep at night, mm. uh, thinking about like safety for you and your
1: loved ones? Yeah, uh, I I think um, it, again it, it's it's super. It, uh, it depends on where you are uh at the time so mm-hmm. if i was like at, at interpol like i'm in the policing realm let's say uh, but i'm very safe you know like i'm i'm more diplomat than law enforcement guy like you know I, i'm gonna be hiding in the van in the back like i'm i'm 100 meters away from from anything uh operational you know uh yeah. which is good for me <laughs> uh so so if you're like a Detective uh, working, let's say, sex crimes in you know Chicago or something. Like y- your experience is going to be much different than a frontline police officer in Miami. You know, like sure. who's actually on the road, like dealing with stuff. Uh, sure. Some jurisdictions, for example, are very relaxed. So when I was in Calgary Police, I worked on the street at the frontline level uh, for a couple months uh, before I did other other things, and uh, that experience was like just like in apples to, to to chainsaws different. Like like just yeah. such a different experience. Um, so let's say for the for the ones that are yeah. very extreme scenarios. Yeah, so, so, like those. Yeah, so very when I was in front line. Yeah, when I yeah. was in northern Canada, the 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 risk was high all the time. Like like uh, like if you walked around the community just by yourself, uh, often you'd have negative encounters. Just 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 walking, like you you couldn't uh, walk around. In a relaxed way, as you would in any other place, necessarily. Uh, so, so it was a very unique scenario in that context. So it was constantly vigilant on guard. So I don't think anyone comes out of that experience without kind of a, a twitch, let's say. Um, but, but on a case to case basis, um, especially if there was a moment to relax and think about it, um, I would ask myself the stoic thing is the same. I would go, uh, is this event like? Let's say, uh, for example, I had one where um, there was a guy, a, a, a guy kidnapped a girl. Uh, And then took her away on a boat, and then uh, so so. And this was one of the worst people in the community. Like he was, he was so so bad that people would call the police when he was physically in the community. He actually lived in a um, like a like a um, a cabin two to three days away Mm. from the community that he would boat to. And he was a trap liner, so he'd catch catch uh, animals and get their fur, and then he would sell the fur for money. So he'd come into the community only like twice a year, or. Sometimes more, but uh, but he was so bad that when he just physically walked down the street, people would call the police. <laughs> just to paint a picture, okay? Mm. So this individual was you know, maybe an uh, older gentleman above fifty, uh, and kidnapped a girl who was let's say below twenty, uh, and took her away for sexual purposes to float around. And we were able to retrieve her, so the story has a happy ending. But uh, at one point, um, someone came into the police station and said, "We know where this person is. Uh, the girl, she's across the lake." And we have to go go and uh, and we go go grab her. But the person who came in was uh, a relative of the the subject of the complaint, the bad guy. So it made no sense that this person who was allied to this individual would come to 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 tell us this information. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is like a trap. Like it, it. And and the person who told us was someone who we, from a police point of view, interact with many times, mm. like arrested. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this was like not a normal person you would just who just came off with the good intentions in their heart mm. uh and it just like it just made no sense and that ne- it would never happen in any other context and i thought oh this is definitely a trap but we got to go and so i called the boss and the boss said yeah you gotta like go check it out so we got a few guys together we got the conservation officer to come join us and stuff and when we went, ac- went across uh uh there's uh, the guy pointed to where we should go and it was just like on the other side of this lake there's nothing out there. It's just like just like windy darkness no, no, uh, moonlight or nothing. And it was just like, kind of like, it, it just felt like we were going to die. And I remember thinking, uh, I'm hundred percent going to get shot on this call, uh, but I have to go do it. But I thought, is it worth it to do it? And I actually had that thought. I was like, should I get off the boat Cause we were like at the, uh, should I get off this boat and go walk down this dusty path and probably get shot <laughs> in my mind? And uh, everyone else would agree. It wasn't just my opinion of that. And I thought, yes, of course. Uh, of course i have to do this it's the right thing to do the compassion element and mm-hmm. i'm cool with that and then i actually and this is the insight here i met a a, a, a judo third degree uh, uh, what was he? uh he was a bronze medalist in the olympics judo guy about 60 and we used to wrestle with him when we were doing like our training for police stuff and he used mm-hmm. to do police combat stuff like hand to hand and uh, he said oh he's like you have to he's like whenever you're fighting someone or whatever you have to assume that you're already dead the worst case scenarios happened which again is you don't control outcomes and he goes as soon as you do that you'll be able to move freely in the space and so I would actually employ that as a mechanical trick so I go worst case scenario I'm gonna get shot it's gonna and because if you get shot there it's not like you just go to there's no hospital right like you gotta wait for a plane for three hours maybe they pick you up if the weather's good and then three hours back like so golden hour of surviving is is not there. So if I get any injury, like it's actually super serious, even like a broken arm, right? Like you're gonna lose the arm <laughs> if it's, you know, if you have got six seven hours and you have got bad blood flow. So uh, it's not casual when you're going to do that stuff. And I remember just thinking, because I did this many times, I was like, "Am I cool to die in this scenario?" Yes, hundred percent, because it the, the the justification is high enough that I'm like I'm because that's when you sign up to be a police officer, like that's kind of the role. Like you're you're at, fundamentally like you're supposed to insert violence and where violence is the state right like you're 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 the monopoly of power the state dictates and if you got to die you got to die it's just how it goes uh if there's a school shooting like you got to run through the door right Mm -hmm. um of course with tactics and you want to self-preserve yourself but at the end of the day like you have to accept that that's a potential outcome uh so in that case i think everyone roughly did the same thing and then i was quick i'm moving through no scared still but completely fine to maneuver um Uh, and that case worked out Uh, we actually didn't find that person there the guy was lying uh and uh and we actually didn't go down the path because i said is this the path and uh, i said you're coming with us and as soon as i said hey you're coming with us he was like oh well, let's not go down the path so i don't know what was down that path specifically he took us down a different one uh, and we went during the day when it was like daylight and there was nothing there but uh maybe that was a trap maybe it wasn't but at the time i thought oh i'm gonna die but lots of scenarios like that and if you just have a second to just go cool is this worth the, the the worst case scenario? As soon as you say yes, then you're free to move. I found that to be true in sports and all sorts of different stuff. Uh, even like scary stuff. Like uh, uh, like even this like this interview. Like uh, what's the worst case scenario? I say something silly. Is, is it worth it? Bam, clear, next. And that's something you can... So the worst case
0: scenario when you walk in, even the community would be like someone come up to you and beat you up. Yeah. Or uh, when you're at home would a community member just comment intrude your house and
1: yeah they, there was a straw we lived in a compound like not just normal housing um so okay. we uh it, it, not in not Larange La was normal housing but when I was up in that Stony Rapids uh, place yep. there was uh on the indigenous reserve there was uh the Black Lake Reserve there was a, one big compound in two different locations like two groups of housing yep. and we had a big fence and stuff like that but uh yeah our houses were like uh we um yeah you it was <laughs> it was a, it was a uh, not a friendly environment for sure. Uh
0: so yeah. so what was the relationship like with with your colleagues?
1: And uh really really good, really good. Uh everyone there was competent and professional. Uh I, I never saw anything that was uh uh not not, but uh it was a very difficult scenario. So so lots of people were um Everyone, you no one was mentally ill. That's the wrong term, but uh, distressed, perhaps, like in a in a di- when you're in a difficult scenario, like you're, you know, you're not yourself. So, uh, to an extent, so people who had been there for a month, uh, you would recognize as you know normal Canadian context, but people who had been there for let's say two years, because that was the maximum you could stay two years. Okay. Uh, people who had done two years uh, were not the same person when they started, um, because the volume of violence was so high and the and the environment so toxic. Uh, that it was difficult to uh to not be tainted by that at a certain point for sure. Um so uh yeah. I think so, that's good uh, If you don't mind ask,
0: what was the worst thing happened to your unit, to your colleague?
1: Uh we or,
0: or to you yeah. personally? Not just not not as a competition, but just to give a contact of the the operating environment. Oh
1: yeah. Uh It's a good question. I, I get this all the time where it's like, you know, what's your craziest story? Uh, it, um, it, it's, uh, and this might be just instructive. Like if, if, for example, I was, uh, if I was in, if I was in a car crash, like if we were in a car together and we were expecting to arrive at our destination and we got in a fender bender, you know, like someone rear ended us, it's kind of traumatizing. Cause you're like, oh, and you, you, you'd feel this kind of sense of like, Oh, this is traumatic. Um, but if I said we're in this car and in 30 seconds, we're going to get in a minor fender bender. So prepare yourself. Then the fender bender wouldn't rattle you because again, it's it's like I mentioned way back at the beginning here where you have a perception of reality mm. and you, and, and it's, and yeah, that's kind of a narrative you've created and that's part of it. Mm. So the most crazy thing that's happened to me uh, probably aren't that crazy in the context of like the story, because uh because I, uh, so, for example, like uh, one time I, I pulled someone over uh, for a traffic violation uh, running through a stoplight and the the t- two individuals had uh, – it it happened to be that the, the two mo- – two of the most dangerous individuals in that community mm-hmm. happened to be in the vehicle. But the vehicle belonged to someone I knew who wasn't those two people and who was not – so I had made the fatal error of thinking, oh, this is going to be a very positive, friendly interaction and just, you know, hey, how are you doing kind of thing. But it turned out to be – not the person i thought in the vehicle Uh, but because i and so i just walked up and engaged with these individuals and uh they may or may not have had firearms on them and it was this awkward conversation and i I was able to slowly uh, create some distance back up and let them go on their way and we just avoided a, a sort of a shootout on that scenario but nothing really happened in that event other than just this really tense scenario but that really rattled me because in my mind i was like oh like this traffic stop is vanilla it's it's just a you know i'm on my Mm -hmm. way to coffee kind of scenario i know this person who's who owns the vehicle this is going to be a 30 second conversation It's fine right because just kind of rolled the stop line but it ended up being like this almost potentially like fatal (laughs) kind of scenario with the two worst individuals in the in the community at the time Mm -hmm. so so it's that it's an example of um police officers when they have really bad experiences often when the re- something has happened that they haven't anticipated. And that's mm. where you get at the worst, where I've got lots of crazy stories where um, I at least had five minutes notice before the event happened. Uh, mm. You know, like someone uh, has lost a, an arm from a machete fight, you know, like that's a call we went to, right? Like, or um, like, uh, homicides uh, uh, with ridiculous kind of context attached to them, but you get a couple seconds to brace yourself for that. Mm. And then the event isn't crazy to you personally. So mm. that's kind of that's kind of the the difference there that that's that's very interesting yeah
0: it's always the the unexpected that rattles you even if a few seconds that can get you realign your reality and and um and have the the right uh, mindset going into it yeah. yeah i think a common thread for our long conversation so far has been the the position of reality and your perception of it and and the space in between and how do you work on that to mm-hmm. to be more resilient to 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 overcome adversity, uh, both in your career and personal life. So, um, I've kept you for a long time. So I think it might be a good time to <laughs> wrap it up. I'm sure, sure we have a lot to talk as well. Um, yeah, definitely. So thank you so much, Fraser, for coming on and, uh, I definitely look forward to
1: welcoming you back on the show. Yeah. No. Thank you for having me. And, yeah. and I guess as just a, a final up. Uh, yes. The, please. The, Any the, final thoughts? No. On? No. It, I, one. Thank you for listening to me drone on. Uh, but uh, I think that that you could, if you don't like the narrative you're in, you can change it, and that's a key element. So even if if you're in hell, you can you can reframe things to be uh, an opportunity. If you're in a bad spot, you can just go good i'm in a bad spot time to move out of you know i uh, or or if if, uh, if you think the the narrative of your of life is not where you want it to be it's not real like where is it where where are the thoughts like you can't physically touch them so you can they exist for your for your benefit so the thoughts aren't you the thoughts are just something that you're aware of as, and I mean, the global you, and you can change those thoughts. And I think that's a key, that's a key insight. And that, and if, if you're a person that hasn't had that thought, that, that, that insight, uh, that the thoughts aren't you, uh, that they're not the total of you, let's say, um, that can lead you. If you have curiosity that can lead you down a lot of interesting paths, I think. Yeah. That'd be my final. A great
0: insight to end on.